if you're in the close protection business, wherever you're going. Of course, you're doing your threat assessments, but part of your threat assessment is also the legalities of where you're going. Can you carry firearms? What type of firearms? What type of ammunition? Are there restrictions on magazines? Are there restrictions on the type of ammunition you can carry? Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Firearms proficiency in executive protection, a slightly more international perspective. Today, we're very fortunate to welcome longtime Circuit Magazine contributor Orlando wilson to the podcast. I'm here with John Moss. Why is this such an emotive topic, especially internationally? Uh, we have opened a can of worms here, haven't we? This is uh, what we're almost two years into the podcast. And I think this is the first time we've properly taken this subject on. Uh, look, you know, it's um, some people are really passionate about this. It's transcends work and, and it goes into personal matters people's own belief structures and i don't think that's the purpose of the podcast today i think we're just here to discuss the role of firearms within cyber protection and there's you know for sure there's a role and i think it's going to be interesting to see with our guest today who you know is pretty much dedicated the majority of his career in private security towards the safe and proficient training of firearms. So it's going to be really interesting to get Orlando's perspective. Uh, I think all long-term readers of the circuit will already be familiar with a lot of Orlando's writing. And so this should make for a really good episode. Yes, I, I, I agree. Absolutely. Because if you are a, a US-based protector, and you are either covert or over, you know, carry armed, right? Then you have a way of operating. And, and that's not quite what we're looking at. We are looking at the distinction between possibly international operators who may never need uh, firearms proficiency and uh, those who, who who might. And and I think that's an interesting distinction to make because otherwise we get into quite a political topic I think that uh, the, the the you know the way in which we can approach this could look at uh, hobbyists because uh, uh, you know everyone has a hobby everyone likes uh, or many people like uh, going down the range um, and real uh, prospective um, employment uh, needs and and I would argue and I wonder what you think John that it's really important to do that because otherwise you'll be spending money that you should otherwise spend on real employable skills on something that is no doubt entertaining and fulfilling, but not quite what you're going to need to get the next job. What do you think? Yeah, well, it, I mean, that's interesting in itself because when you start, you know, assigning your CPD dollars at the start of the year and saying, where am I going to invest in my training this year? Then you should be putting that money to work. That's my view. You should be adding value to yourself, keeping yourself proficient in all of the areas that you're required to do, you know, keep up the, the basic skills, 
ticking the boxes that you need to keep operating in, depending on what country you're in. And then in addition to that, you've got a lot of supplementary skills, the kind of things that we've been discussing recently on the podcast about how to make yourself a valuable operator Mm. in this modern world. Plus, you're also trying to distinguish yourself and find your own lane. And, And look, it's fine to be a hobbyist as well. It's fine to invest money in things that are just a hobby and a passion for you. And if it helps keep you sharp, if it helps keep the rest of your skills at a high level, then I've got no problem with that. But I guess I think the message is, do you really want to be focusing all your attentions on that ahead of other skills that are perhaps going to be better for your employability? Which is very fair. You know, it's a fair point. And hey, we don't want to be joy killers. And, you know, we we do ourselves probably enjoy uh, this, uh, you know, down the range as well. And and it, and it is important. Uh, and, there, and there's great benefits, as John said, of course, mentally uh, for focusing and, and achieving something like pistol shooting or, or competition shooting. Absolutely. However, let's get into it. A slightly more international perspective, obviously long term contributor to the circuit magazine uh, let's hear from the man himself orlando wilson and we're going to look at firearms in executive protection and now let's meet one of the contributors to the circuit magazine Firearms in Executive Protection. Today, we're going to do a deep dive with the one and only Orlando Wilson, security consultant and great friend of the Circuit Magazine, many times contributor. It's a great pleasure to have you on. How are you doing? Good, mate. Yourself? How you been? Having a great time. Lots and lots of events, lots of things going on. Um, but, but firearms seems like a topic that would probably excite half of our community who can use firearms and half of them that can't probably go well that seems interesting but i'd be interested maybe to learn how it applies to my role so so let's get into it what's the problem we're trying to solve with this topic what where are we with the state of firearms in ep today the thing is with firearms there's a lot of misconceptions about the use of firearms in the close protection executive protection world what a lot of people don't realize is the vast majority of close protection jobs are are unarmed. As you know, in Europe, in UK, it's virtually impossible for civilians, well, it's impossible for civilians to work armed. Um, In Europe, there are certain countries where people can work armed, but they're under very, very stringent regulations. In the US, it's a lot easier to work armed and get hold of firearms. But when you're traveling around, if you're traveling with clients, it's most of the close protection jobs are going to be unarmed. And I find it funny and strange, funny, strange, et cetera. When you see a lot of people, when they're thinking about close protection, all they're thinking about is armed guards, firearms, where it's limited, very, very limited. And so obviously I'm delighted to have you on, great uh, long-term contributor, but, but where does your passion for the topic of firearms sort of come from? Um, to start off with, I was in the I've always liked guns, even when I was a kid. I ended up joining the military, British military. Um, we started doing events in Eastern Europe in the 90s, firearms events. 
Um, at that time, I was mainly doing stuff in Latvia. I then moved to US and firearms training became part of my business. So I, when I was in the US, I worked armed. I've also tried firearms training courses in the US, Caribbean, Latin America, Middle East, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, guns are tools and they are part of the business. I think if you're working internationally, you should know how to use them. But there again, they're not essential. Okay. Okay. I, I like that. And hopefully that will, that will create a debate already in our listenership. Oh, yes, I can hear it right now. Um, but what about the completely uninitiated, the protector who's never had to work with firearms before? Uh, what, what should they better understand? Well, the thing is with firearms, you cannot just go and do uh, a few day course and become competent. It's the same as I put it in it's the same as martial arts. Right. If to become competent, you have to practice, practice and practice. There's no one fix of going and doing a two week course and walking out a firearms expert. Because, again, there's that many different types of firearms out there that, again, most operate the same way. Um, the safety rules should be the same. But I've come across guns in the US or I've come across guns in various places I've never seen before and trying to work out how to strip the things down, etc. is difficult. So firearms is one of those businesses. It's a continual learning process. And again, as far as the training is concerned, you have to have the muscle memory. You have to know when you pick the weapon up to keep your finger off the trigger. Most people, when they're not used to firearms, the first thing they do when they pick a gun up is pull the trigger. And it's building up that muscle memory. And I think one of the issues today, especially in the close protection world, executive protection world, is people offering quick fix, quick fix courses for firearms, people are just wasting their money. Because again, you're not going to learn, become competent with firearms over a two-week period, or a few-day period. All right, so let's address a, a common parlance sort of phrase where, where people are almost so certain that it is the truth that, that I'm interested in sort of throwing it out there. Uh, it, it sort of goes a bit like this. If you have to draw your firearm, you've bleeped up. It's a massive, massive failure. Is that actually the case in, in all cases? I would say pulling a firearm is an absolute last resort. And this is where, again, it comes into, I see people, and I think I'm sure I've said it somewhere, where if things go bad, you've missed something. A lot of times you have missed something. But there again, you've got the things that can go bad on the street. The things you cannot anticipate. The things or working in an environment where you don't have control of that environment. And I can think of a few cases where it's like things go bad. You just happen to be there. So you're going to have to defend yourself. Yes, pulling a farm is a last resort. And I think a lot of people, especially in the US, and I'm not bashing the Yanks, um, instead of trying to de-escalate a situation, they go straight to firearms. And I've seen this with people when I've been doing courses, et cetera. If somebody's carrying a firearm, if there's a problem, the first thing they're going to do is go for that firearm. If they're carrying, even if it's a pepper spray, an extendable baton, if there's an issue, they're going to go straight to that weapon instead of thinking how to de-escalate. So... To me, again, it's not just learning how to use the firearms. And this is one thing 
I have issues with these days. A lot of people, it's all competition shooting. The majority of the stuff that's been thrown into being classed as defensive shooting these days is competition shooting. Very few people talk about you have to, the thing, how can I put it? It's getting to the point of drawing that weapon. There's a lot that needs to go on and people need to be taught about how to de-escalate, how to be streetwise, how to be aware of what's going on around you, how to avoid the problem. And it's not just about carrying a gun and shooting people. That is an absolute last resort. But again, the issue is these days, and we mentioned something about this just now, people want to be entertained. And it's more fun running around shooting guns than it is sat down actually learning um, what it takes to avoid a problem. And if you're in a potentially hostile situation, how to de-escalate before pulling a firearm or any type of weapon. Absolutely, because I could well imagine as a, as a layperson, a, a show of force is not a show of force in the way that the person imagines it. It's a it's a sort of a, a red flag to a bull. In some places, it can escalate. And this is where it's like in a lot of states in the US, it's you cannot use a gun to intimidate people. And the laws change all the time. You've got how many different states or how many different rules. But you cannot use a gun. I think they changed the law in the state of Florida, but the law there was you could not use a gun to threaten somebody. If you use the, if you pulled a firearm, you had to shoot. And I know other people say we can't say shoot to kill. Well, you had to shoot to kill. You couldn't shoot to hurt people because that's to be classed as you're torturing the person. You're not in fear for your safety. So again, this is where just pulling a gun out and flashing it, one, can escalate the situation, and two, you could be breaking the law. So you have to understand the laws of the country you're in, in the US, the state you're in, because they vary greatly. But I tell people, if you pull a gun, use it. Otherwise, don't pull the gun. The gun stays holstered. That's it. And you do everything possible to avoid the problem. Don't get in the situation in the first place. And so you, you alluded to some of the training out there that, yeah, may well be fun, but it may be more akin to competition shooting and targets and clay pigeons and things. So, so how could one look at a curriculum and go, yeah, this is actually legit? What, what are some of the features they should look for? I would say the first thing we want to look at is what is, what is the experience of the instructors? Because there's a lot of... Let me ask you a question now. You might know the answer. How long do you think it takes to become an NRA, National Rifle Association, pistol instructor? How long? I would hope 10,000 hours, but I, 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 I don't know. It's a one-day course. Oh, okay. So I'd done the qualifications years ago because I taught the Florida Concealed Weapons Permit for me as business. I needed that to be able to teach the courses and get insurance and everything else. But there's how many people out there saying they're firearms instructors that's possibly done a one-day course and maybe done a couple of courses with some other people and that's it. So before you look at anything, what is the experience of the instructor? Um, just being in the military, I would say it helps. But again, most militaries are not hot on using handguns. I know how many people that's been in the military, how many years and once we talk about shotguns, which are a very prevalent weapon in the firearms world, they have no clue about shotguns. So the first thing I would do is look at the qualifications and experience of the instructor. Um, if you're looking at the curriculum, all curriculum should start off with basic safety. 
and safety should be hammered home from day one all the way throughout the course. But if we're talking about skills for executive protection, then you need to be, um, I put an emphasis on instinctive shooting, shooting from the hip, shooting at close quarters, but we also work people out shooting the distance out to 100 meters. Because again, and I, this is something where a lot of people say you cannot shoot out to 100 meters. You can, we do it on our courses. And the reason being, either people say, oh, but if you're shooting at that distance, you should be using a long gun, an assault rifle, et cetera. Well, in most places, you cannot carry an assault rifle for security purposes. You're stuck with pistols and shotguns. So again, if all you have is a pistol, you need to know the maximum capabilities of that pistol and also your capabilities. Because again, if you're, say, in a hostile environment, you got bad guys 100 meters away, you're going to wait for them to get within 15 yards of you or 15 meters. Or if you can shoot at distance, you can put some rounds towards them to keep their heads down so you can evacuate, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah? So again, once you get into the firearms training, there's a lot to learn. You have to be able, you have to understand the safety, you have to understand the weapons, you have to understand how to shoot up close and also how to shoot at distance. Hmm. And of course, yeah, part 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 of that de-escalation, even whilst escalated, I suppose, is putting distance between yourself and the other. Avoid the problem. If you can avoid the problem, again, and this is what I think people don't realize. As we said earlier, it's entertainment, it's playing games, it's being having a bit of a fun with people dress up, they look cool, they put on their pretend army gear and play security contractor. The situation on the street is if you're involved in a shooting, somebody's gonna die or go to hospital, and somebody's gonna go to jail in most places. Even in the US, if you're involved in a shooting in most states, that's gonna cost you money because you're gonna to have to get a lawyer involved. In other countries throughout, I know how many countries in Europe, even if a cop is involved in a shooting, they're arrested straight away. If you're a civilian and you're involved in a shooting and you shoot and kill somebody, you've got big legal problems. I don't think people understand the consequences. It's okay having fun with guns, but they don't understand the consequences. Or if you're involved in a shooting, you could end up dead. Somebody else could end up dead. You could end up in a wheelchair for the rest of your life or you could end up in jail for the rest of your life. And I think that's the main thing that's missing. Everybody wants to play games, but they don't want to understand the realities of carrying firearms. And, and, and so does that divide a lot of people into two categories? People with firearms who are perennially thinking, is it time for me to deploy it? <laughs> and those who don't have it and have to rely on other skills you know being being a being a, a martial artist having another type of uh, weapon of opportunity or or something else yeah it, as i said it's like if we're talking purely about close protection most international close protection jobs are unarmed so you have to rely on uh being aware of your environment and i tell people you've got weapons around you all the time if you can understand how to improvise anything as a weapon and i think there's been debates in how many of these, uh, I've seen it online, debates about should uh, close protection, executive protection personnel uh, know how to know self-defense? Yeah, you have to 100% because it's part of the business. And again, I know, I can think of how many times you end up in scuffles because again, it's the things that happen on the street, the things you cannot predict 
that happen. So again, the use of force, be it armed or unarmed, I say especially the unarmed side, is essential for close protection. And so conversely, I think we, we've all seen the videos of people who seem to come up with miraculous ways of escaping, uh, having a gun pointed in their face. Um, where I don't think those videos are good and representative of what could be done. But is there any self-defense techniques or any methodologies that people should look into? Or is it literally run away? If so, this thing is... This is back down to, and one of my good friends out of Mexico, Jerry Arachea, and we've, he's, he was top fighter, top martial arts guy. He's now a security manager, etc. I've worked with him how many times? Good friend of mine. And we've had this discussion about the martial arts world. And I said to him about a lot of these techniques, and he's, he's a real guy. And he said, yeah, it's, it's BS, but people have to keep coming up with techniques to bring for people to keep coming back to their schools. So even with the firearms world, it's the same with one thing that annoys me is knife defense. If somebody knows how to use a knife, you're screwed. And what a lot of people are teaching for knife defense is complete BS, complete and utter BS. We can do a class however long and you can walk out thinking you actually know what you're doing. If you come across some little kid, some gypsy kid that knows how to, how to use a knife, you're screwed. You're going to get cut up. So again, if somebody's pointing a gun at you, and they know what they're doing, they're not gonna allow you to get close enough to them to take the gun off them. They'll shoot you. And again, if you look at a lot of, how can I put it, the mentality of a lot of criminals, especially if we're talking about Latin America, Mexico, et cetera, they'll kill you. It's not a game. It's not roll around on the mats in a nice comfy dojo. You meet somebody on the street, they're pointing a gun at you, chances are you do as you're told, or you're gonna get killed. Are there things you can do? Well. Again, a lot of this will come into what we teach is understanding the person's body language, maximum use of distractions. And then when you strike, you strike to end the situation. But a lot of what I see out there is just techniques. You're gonna get killed. All it takes is a little bit of pressure on that trigger and you're, you're shot. That's it. Mm. Which, I, which I think, you know, obviously is something that I think we all got, have a gut feeling when we see those uh, Instagram videos that it's probably not going to work. Um, but, but, but I think it's important to bring up. Um, so we, we've touched on legality and, and sort of um, areas uh, where, where one could or could not practice. Um, we've touched on the actual firearms you'll have access to. And mm. we've, we've touched on the sort of the self-defense side. Is there any merit looking at ammunition and uh that type of topic because because there is a lot of uh talk around hollow points and around armor piercing uh things especially when i used to do my military events we would look at b6 b7 vehicles and uh suddenly when someone <laughs> would come out with a brand new something tipped something and you know it, it, is there anything interesting there to explore in the ep world yeah, and again, a lot of it depends on where you are and what's legal, because even within the US, in some states, it's legal to carry hollow points. In some states, it's illegal to carry hollow points. I'll stick my neck out here, and I think in the state of New Jersey, hollow points are illegal for civilians. I think law enforcement can carry them, but if you're caught with a hollow point, you're going to have big problems. 
I think, and I'm sure people will pop up and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so I see a lot of people saying, oh, you should carry this type of ammunition, you should carry whatever ammunition. It depends where you are and it depends what's legal. In the US for pistols, uh, I, I believe armor piercing ammunition is now legal. They've, the green tips that was military grade armor, steel cord ammunition, I think they banned those also because there's too many of the AR-15 carbines now that are classed as pistols. Uh -huh. I tell people when I was, again, legally carrying in the US, I always mixed up my ammunition. Hollow point, full metal jacket, hollow point, full metal jacket. What people, if you don't know what a hollow point does, but when a hollow point hits something, it expands, hits a person, hits an object, it expands, and it doesn't over-penetrate. This is where, in some places, it looks upon as being safer than full metal jacket rounds. But the people that's anti-gun come out and say, well, hollow points are dumb, dumb bullets. They do too, they cause too much trauma when they hit somebody, et cetera. When in other places, they're looked upon as being safer because they do not over-penetrate the target. I carried hollow point and full metal jacket, mixed the rounds up. The full metal jacket rounds, solid lead rounds, copper jacket, um, they penetrate more. So if I had to shoot through cover, shoot into a car, shoot through drywall, et cetera, that full metal jacket round would penetrate better than the hollow point. And even if we're talking about shooting for self-defense, if you're shooting into a person, personally, I'd want rounds that's going to penetrate deeper, as well as the hollow points that's going to cause more trauma. So again, a lot of this, when we talk about ammunition, in the US, we can we can talk about this. We can get the ammunition. I don't think that you can, I, I think they've stopped selling uh, pistol ammunition at Walmart, but in the day, you could go to Walmart and buy whatever you wanted, right? But in a lot of places, you have to look into the legalities of what ammunition is legal to carry. If you're caught with a hollow point, you're going to have big problems. And again, if you're working somewhere where you've only got full metal jacket rounds, that's what you're going to have to work with. That's it. But it's understanding the capabilities of those rounds. And and should I, as a as a layperson, you know, um, expect? Let's say I I was a qualified EP professional, uh, like our listeners, and I've never worked with firearms uh, uh, before, but somehow I got on a task in a jurisdiction that it was legal. Are they going to supply me with my equipment, or am I going to be expected to piece it all together myself? So, is this even a problem that the operator's got to worry about? Well, this is the thing, you're not going to be able to do it yourself. If you're in UK, you can't buy firearms. There are ways, I think it's a section five license or something, I'm sure people correct me, you could get a dealer's license in UK, but that's very, very difficult to get and a lot of background checks, very difficult. And again, I'm sure the police will be knocking on your door on a regular basis to check your inventory. Um, in the US, even when I was, when I had guys working there for me, whatever, I expected people to bring their own firearms. Everybody should own a gun. And would you want to expect it? Would you you want to go, okay, what have you brought to the party? Oh, you've brought an Uzi. That's not funny. And oh, you've brought something a bit more sensible. Is, is that the kind of conversation? Yeah. If we look at it from the US perspective, that you can only use certain firearms within the security industry. Um I was in Florida for how many years? Once upon a time, security guards, private investigators, et cetera, 
Now, private investigators could carry semi-automatics. Re uh, security guards still had to carry revolvers. Now, I think they've changed it over to, for security purposes, whatever gun you qualify with is the gun you have to carry. So if you qualify with a 45 semi, that's the gun you're going to have to carry. If you want to carry other firearms, then you have to go to the range and qualify with those guns. Um, when guys with me brought along their own firearms, yeah, everybody that worked with me, I'd been to the range before. They tended to have done my courses before, so I knew they were okay. But yeah, I would check weapons, ammunition to make sure they're not carrying any ammunition that's, that could get them into trouble. Or, or something like a, a, a piece of equipment, seemingly innocuous, but it's a bump stock. Let so... me tell you a quick story. If you've got two minutes, I'll, I'll tell there you a quick story. An associate of mine I used to deal with years ago in one of the islands in the Caribbean. There was a guy there, former cop, got involved in the shooting, shot a guy, 100% justifiable shooting. When the body went to autopsy, they pulled out hollow points. The police had not authorized anybody to bring hollow points in on into the island. There'd been no import permits. So even though the guy shot the guy, 100% justifiable shooting, he ended up being charged with importing illegal ammunition. Mm. So again, this is where you have to be careful because something like that, if you use a hollow point where you shouldn't have hollow points, yeah, you might get away with the shooting. You can still have to be charged with a crime. Yeah. And 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 that does paint an important picture because I guess I guess it's gonna be up to you to prevent yourself from getting charged and up to your team for making sure that you've got half of the regulations that you need covered, but at the end of the day it feels like you're on your own. It's down to you, but again, this is back down to if you're in the close protection business wherever you're going. Of course, you're doing your threat assessments, but part of your threat assessment is also the legalities of where you're going. Can you carry firearms? What type of firearms? What type of ammunition? Are there restrictions on magazines? Are there restrictions on the type of ammunition you can carry? And this is where you just can't, um, you just can't turn up in certain places with guns and think, okay, I'm here, I can carry a gun, and here we go. Because in most places, Firearms are extremely restricted. And if you, I get it all the time about Mexico. Okay, guns are very, very restricted in Mexico. As a foreigner, you're not going to be carrying a gun, period, unless you're working with the narcos. That's it. So all this stuff you see on the movies about non-Mexicans running around with firearms shooting the place up, it's all BS, but people believe the movies. You as a foreigner caught with a firearm in Mexico, if you're caught by the narcos, they must probably just kill you. If you're caught by the cops, you better have quite a bit of money handy to try and get yourself out of jail because you will be going to jail. Mm. And 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 that, and that perception versus reality is unfortunate because there, there will be a card of people, not yet EP professionals, thinking, yes, absolutely, this is one of the appeals of becoming uh, an EP professional. And they buy into flashy courses, they buy into lifestyles, and they might buy into that, um, which, of course, we're trying to dissuade and we're trying to you know, make the market realize there is a massive, massive learning curve. I see courses in the UK where they're going through simulated firearms training. It's like, to me, you can carry firearms in the UK. So why are you doing simulated firearms training? And this is where if you're new to the industry, 
if you don't have military experience, are you going to be trusted with firearm to work with firearms somewhere? It's, it's, it's not going to happen. But it's people selling a myth. And I think this is one thing with, how can we put it, unscrupulous companies just taking money off people, selling a myth. Um, I'm not going to make mention too many names about things and courses, but it's like I've had people approach me and ask me, oh, we've done this course, we've done whatever. It's like, what's worthless? You've done a simulatable, a hostile environment course that is not worth the papers written on. You don't have the experience to work in hostile environments. You've never been in the military. You've, you might have left England on holiday. That's about it. And you expect, because you've just done a two-week course, to be sent somewhere to play bodyguard. But I think a lot of it is people need to be realistic if they're thinking about getting into this business of, okay, what skills do I need and what's actually going to be relevant and not be sold courses that are completely irrelevant. If you want to work armed these days, there are places you can do it, but you're going to have to get on a plane and go there. And again, you need most places, you need work permits, you need visas, and it, that can be problematic in itself. And again, as, as I said, even if you're going into space, like you're going into another country with a firearm is very, very difficult. In most countries, the only people that can own and possess firearms are going to be legal residents or legal citizens. Going in and on a, even on a work permit is not going to work. So you have to understand the rules and regulations. So do you think a more productive thing that we can do is to say to the industry, just divide your attention one side is your hobby and it's competition pistol shooting or whatever having a great time at down at the range and then your day job and do not mix your hobby and your day job maybe that's a a, a, a better way to get them to think about it 100 percent. and this is one thing is like you don't see it so much in europe because guns are a lot more restricted but you see it in the us uh guys can go and become it's a tactical lifestyle. Oh, and yeah. you go buy all the guns, all the equipment, dress up, go to the range and shoot. And you see it a lot. If you go to Vegas, they got some apparently some really good gun ranges in Vegas. You see in South Florida, people have their shooting dress. They dress up to go shooting. It's, the, it's their weekend thing. It's their lifestyle. If that's your hobby, best of luck to you 100%. But don't mix that with the realities of defensive shooting. Yeah, which I, which I think is a happy medium because we acknowledge that people enjoy uh, their, their hobby. It's just, you know. Um, but, and I don't know, this is maybe putting you on the spot, but I've been reading about some future technology that is going to make guns even safer and blah, blah, blah. Smart guns. Um, these are apparently not just uh, science fiction, but they will only respond to the uh, owner. They'll be controllable by Wi-Fi. Um, to what extent are they in the common common uh, nomenclature, you know, parlance um, today? Um, are, are, are smart guns even on your radar? They popped up in, I think there's a few states in the US. I've seen it in US people were talking about it. But the thing is, you want to keep things as simple as possible. Would I be happy with a smart gun? No. You said Wi-Fi. What if the Wi-Fi is not working? What if it does, the battery's gone? And one thing I remember people were selling in the US was biometric safes. They opened with a thumbprint. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Touch your thumb, the safe opens, you can access your gun. 
okay, as long as your thumb's not dirty, as long as your thumb's not got oil on it. Because again, any issues that you couldn't open the safe because it's not reading your thumbprint. So this is where everybody's coming up with these new ideas on how to make guns safer. The only way you're going to make guns safer is due to education. And people properly know how, knowing how to use firearms. I had issues in the US because again, US is pro-gun. And I said to people, okay, everybody that has a firearm, it makes sense to me, they should do a training course. Not just be able to go out and buy a firearm. And there's how many people in the US, I see a positive in this, I also see the negatives. There's how many people with no experience of firearms going out and buying AK-47s, buying whatever pistols they want. Especially with some of the stand your ground laws, which mean that you can maybe stand your ground at a later date. I I know that's controversial, but yeah. The standard ground laws, I'm all for that because they brought this in in the state of Florida. It just removed your need to escape. So you had to show initially what the law used to say, that you could only use force if you could not escape the situation. You had to retreat. Standard ground just removed the need to retreat. So in some ways, it made it for justifiable shootings it made it less complicated. If you you're involved in this justifiable shooting, okay, it was justifiable, no problem. But what people don't forget, what people forget, and what doesn't make the media, if you shoot somebody and it's not a justifiable shooting, a place like Florida, you're going to jail for a minimum 30 years. And it's back down to understanding the law and understanding the consequences. A lot of the anti-gun people jump on, oh, stand your ground's bad, etc. It's the laws were there in place. Laws were there before. If the shooting is justifiable, it's justifiable. This just removes some of the the legal complexities that were on people, and I take it on the police to investigate. And and then and then maybe that brings us on to one of the hotter topics of the last couple of years, uh, for various reasons. Um, concealed carry, um, yes, and how one manages to to do that or not to do that. Um, I guess does it does it ultimately matter because you either have it or you don't have it, and if you have it and you've concealed it, I mean, it gives you the element of surprise. But I mean, as a layperson, I'm just thinking, what's the what's what does it matter? But in some states in the US, they got open carry, and I'm not a big fan of open carry because everybody knows you've got a gun on you. And I think, I'm sure people will correct me, in some states, you don't need a permit to open carry, you need a permit to conceal carry. And the police are happy if people open carry because they can visually see the person has a gun on. Hmm. Where if the gun is concealed, they can't see if the person's armed or not. Um, I'm not a big fan of open carry because again, it's very easy to take firearms off people. And if you see somebody with a gun, okay that person can be targeted i don't want people to know i'm carrying a firearm i can't these days because i'm in europe anyway but when i'm in the us i generally carry um i don't want people to know i'm carrying a firearm it's there for me to use for self-defense as a last resort um but i don't see any issues with trained people legal people that's gone through the vetting process that's had a federal background check i don't see any problem with them carrying only firearms and there's been how many shootings in the U.S. recently, and a lot of these don't make the media, where people with concealed weapons permits have stopped 
um, mass shootings. They prevented other people getting hurt. And it doesn't make the media for obvious reasons. But um, I don't see an issue with people carrying firearms for self-defense. I think the laws in UK are too restrictive where you cannot defend yourself. And I think that's one thing the US has got over, the, which, which is a big positive. In certain states in the US, you can still legally defend yourself, which you can in a lot of other places. Well, no, I appreciate um, you helping out. And, and I, I hope me not being any way uh, an EP professional and especially not a firearms professional, I hope this line of questioning helps some of our more uninitiated listeners. But I'd like to think it helps some of the more established EP professionals think, do you know what? The reason we do X, Y and Z is or when we talk about standards, always a very hot topic when we're creating the new ANSI standard in this direction then this is in, in inherently what we've got to consider. Um, I, I think I think there is merit to, to this sort of more uh, unknowing line of questioning. Yeah, sure. It's um, by you not understanding the business, you're going to be more inquisitive. And you're asking questions which are not going to be the textbook. OK, the standard question is about firearms. So, yeah, I think it's we've uh, talked about things from various angles. Which which. I'm laboring the point because the last thing in the world that I need is for anyone to come down and go, oh, why is he asking these questions? He's not a firearm specialist. Well, that's why I'm asking the questions. And that's why that's why we have uh, Orlando on. And Orlando, I know you've written several articles over the years on this on this topic. Um, any any themes that, that, that have been constant with what you've been writing about? Any any sort of passions that you, you sort of want people to direct, uh, uh, you know, them to your articles in the magazine? No, I think um, over the years, I've written quite a bit for the Circuit magazine. And I'm writing quite a bit on the firearms there. And we're trying to, I'm trying to put out there the realities of the firearms business rather than the realities of firearms related to close protection, not just what looks cool and people think is cool. Because there's a big difference between the realities of carrying firearms, realities of working with firearms, and what people see in the movies and on YouTube and on Instagram. So I'd just say to people is, again, the circuit's got some good writers. And I think a lot of what's in there is the truth, which is hard to find these days. So people need to, if they're thinking about getting into the close protection business, especially armed close protection business, is do their research. As I said earlier, make sure the people you're getting the information from are qualified and they have the experience to actually give you the information. Well, great advice. And that is what we're trying to do with the podcast. We're trying to bring the pages of the magazine to life. And here are the pages. We're bringing them to life. Thank you very much, uh, Orlando. Um, I'd, I'd love for people to reach out to you. Um, uh, how, how can they get a, get a hold of you if, if, if you're open to that? Yeah, look me up on LinkedIn. I'm generally throwing stuff up there on daily or a few times a week or just look us up on social media. Rather, you can look up for me or... Um, using Orlando Andy Wilson these days or look up Risk Incorporated, you'll find us. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much for coming on. It's been excellent looking at firearms in the EP industry. Lots of things I thought I knew and maybe people thought that they completely understood, but I, but I like unpicking it. So uh, this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast.
Well, thank you very much, Orlando, for setting the record straight, helping us focus and really distinguish between that which is undoubtedly fun for many and that which is a priority for your career. What did you get out of today's session, John? So one of the biggest things that I'm hearing is the responsibility of carrying a firearm. If you're going to pull out your firearm, let alone use it, you already got to be assured of what you're doing and also having to be able to stand up in court and explain your actions for pulling your firearm. But it's not only that, it's the optics for the principal, his image, as well as what are you doing to the situation? Are you in fact escalating a situation? Was it necessary to pull your firearm? Was there another way to go about that? So, so much to think about. It's kind of worms. And, and, I think de-escalation as a tactic is is much more useful, um, uh, especially in this in this case. Um, and and then I think you know it was interesting looking at different jurisdictions, um, some European jurisdictions where it could in some way be possible, but then the restrictions are really really tight. Some US uh, you know jurisdictions which you might imagine are very uh, open, but they have a very strict rule uh, set and that. I think I think you need to think about the personal effect it could have on you, not just for your work, but you particularly. Um, plus, I really I really do think there's something uh, to be said for separating a desire to shoot pistols at competitions and a desire to, you know, conceal carry or open carry uh, on 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 task and cuz 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 for some people and myself included i think that would be a worthwhile hobby what what do you think john well yeah sure you know i mean if if that's your hobby you know then pursue it if that's your passion if that's something you're into you know just the, the same as martial arts or in, in fact any hobby that's not even related to the protection industry go after it put in everything you want but if that is the case, then just ensure that you're also putting funds aside and time and commitment towards those other areas of your professional development. Absolutely. And talking about professional development, um, this week uh, I am going off to the IPSB in Vegas to be professionally developed. Uh, I am very excited to see a lot of protectors there. And of course, our co-host Elijah Shaw will be at the EP forum the uh, the seventh uh, this week. So uh, I think I think that is a nice segue. Um, uh, will will we get to see you out there, John? Uh, one of these uh, years? Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, it's uh, you know, it, every time it comes up, like I had COVID as a good excuse for the last couple of years not to go. Uh, this year. It was a consideration. Work for me took it out of my hands. However, I, I do think this is one now that is on my calendar and I'm going to make a, a greater effort. I think it's something to be done at least once for sure. Absolutely. And and there's going to be a good uh, British contingent. Uh, I know some of our longstanding uh, British friends are, are going to be there. 
I've seen already uh, that Australian colleagues are flying over, German colleagues, um, lots of uh, oh, French colleagues I saw as well, Mexican colleagues, uh, as well as, of course, the staple from throughout the States. So, you know, we hope that uh, you find time to listen to this podcast this week or perhaps on the weekend after the show. So that's absolutely something we'd love for you to do. And please come say hello because I'm going to be doing some interviews uh, during the uh, event itself, which is good news for anyone that wants to have their voice heard uh, on the podcast. Uh, what else uh, have we got going on, John? Well, as usual, you know, we have all of our commitments with the podcast, with the newsletter, with the magazine. All of this is going on, as always, in the background. So we'll have a new issue coming out very soon. And obviously, the newsletters come out weekly, which is a really good way to uh, keep connected with everything that's happening. It's our first port of call for getting out information. Well, actually, that's not true. I suppose the first port of call is always our communities in BBA Connect and the NABA Protector app. So check those out and then dive into the newsletters weekly. Wonderful. Well, please do sign up. Um, I know I like uh, to read the newsletter, even though I kind of have an inkling what might go into it. Uh, so, But please do sign up to it uh, so, so, so you re receive that each week. Uh, please do stop by at the IPSB or the EP forum uh, to see either myself or Elijah Shaw. And uh, yes, thank you very much to Orlando Wilson for today's session. I know he is working on more fantastic articles for the Circuit magazine in uh, print uh, uh, on the app. And, uh, and and I really hope that we get to celebrate uh, these, uh, the, these weeks going up until Christmas and festive period. So from John and myself, uh, we've really enjoyed looking at firearms in EP, a slightly more international perspective. And uh, this has been a fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.